Welcome to Uncharted Journeys. I'm your host, Kathy McKnight. If you're like me and you've ever sat back and wondered, how did I get here? Whether literally or figuratively in terms of your career or life in general, then you're in good company and have come to the right place. On Uncharted Journeys, you'll hear from amazing women about their straight and narrow, zigzaggy, or somewhere in between paths to success. Today's guest has been obsessed with what it is to be human and how to be and do it better ever since she was about 10 years old. She's treated herself and her life as an ongoing experiment since her 20s, which I love that philosophy, in a way that, you know, now people would call that biohacker, and she has found so much more than it's just about bio. Those many years of awareness has honed her skills as an expert in leadership development and personal growth, which she puts into practice as the co-founder and executive development director at Blacksmith HQ. Through her unique vertical development approach, she offers fully human, I need to hear more about that, experiences that empowers leaders to become the people they aspire to be. With more than 25 years of experience in people, culture, and leadership space, our guest has gained a reputation for sharp insights, compassionate approach, and infectious energy. She's worked with diverse range of leaders, empowering them to embrace deep and meaningful growth. She sees how our fast-paced, ever-changing world traditionally approaches to capabilities, capabilities development just aren't enough or right. That to build effective leadership capacity, in her view, one of the most valuable resources, we need to be able to adapt rapidly to ever-evolving technologies and external forces. That way we can navigate the transitions in our own lives, particularly during our 40s and 50s, which again, can't wait to hear more about that because I'm smack dab there, where by embracing the whole person, whole life philosophy, leaders can unlock true potential, become authentic, responsible, and compassionate role models. Her work incorporates timeless wisdom of the fields of psychology, neuroscience, chronobiology, anthropology, and philosophy, combined with her own lived experiences. Always connected to a diverse global community, she likes to bring the cool stuff that's happening out there to New Zealand and equally shares her own unique insights to the rest of the world, all while wearing the best ensembles. Welcome, Kate Billing. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad we made this work for our audience. It took us a couple of reschedules, but here we are. So as I mentioned, um, you know, if you if looking at your analytics and you see a lot of Canadian uh, IP addresses, that would be me. I have been creeping all over you and Instagram and LinkedIn and, <laughs> and your website. I see you have a new site, katebilling.com, that is about to launch. So definitely want to hear about that. I gave our audience really the highlight reel. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you got to be where you are today and doing what you do? Yeah, well, at, at uh, 54, that every year that highlight reel, you know, it gets longer no matter how much you try to expurgate the process. But um, I think one of the things you said at the beginning of that fabulous intro, thank you very much, it's very humbling, was about this being obsessed with human obsessed is one of the ways I describe myself, along with being a leadership pragmatist and a midlife activist, stumbled into mid, you know what I would say is midlife activism. I think since I reckon I was about 10, my father told me a couple of weeks ago, he's like, no, no, definitely, I reckon you were seven the first time you said, you know, when someone said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you said, doctor. By 10, it had become... Um, a more specific form of medicine being pathologist. I don't know quite where all of that came from. But it was really about, I think, this idea in the beginning of 
more the physical embodiment of it. As you know, seven to ten years old, you don't you're not necessarily thinking about esoteric and philosophical existential elements of being human. So in the beginning, it was really about why do we get sick, and what do we do about that, and then then it moved into when I was uh, high school. I, I'm not going to give you all of this from that stage, by the way. This is going to be a highlight reel. <laughs> but it's just this kind of, by the time I was, you know, I was studying German and when I was 13 and I'd sort of become, I got really just this deeply curious about how did the whole Nazi Hitler thing happen? Like, what is it? So it moved from this physical thing into more the cultural and societal and how does how does the mind do these things how do we go from people like us into people like that and those are the same people you know so I've been on this pulling threads curious inquirer thing about both my own experience and the experience of other humans through time since I was little I've had the very good fortune to be able to turn that into a career now which is which is pretty amazing um so I think the highlight reel is it started there. It ended up with me dropping out of university when I was 19. I went to do to go to med school and um, had a bit of a break with reality. I had a mental breakdown in my second year and um, just for a whole lot of very good reasons. Uh, and I'm, it's one of those things through the To the Uncharted Journeys title of this where it was like everything, there was a path a very clearly set out path for me. And that year, when I was 19, uh, the path disappeared and I didn't know who I was and where I was going. And so there's a real identity crisis. And I think ever since then, I mean, I look back in my 20s and it's definitely a time I wouldn't miss but wouldn't repeat because I have a real, I have really mixed feelings about it. But it set me on an uncharted journey, that that moment forward. Um which has led to epic adventures in the world and in my own mind. Uh, and over the last 25 years, uh, into the minds and realities and leadership impact of other fabulous humans. Um, and I feel very fortunate, you know, to have found this path when I thought another one was laid out for me. It sounds like there's one of the things I've got to... Um two university age children. My daughter's just starting her uh, master's degree in um, biomedical physics. And uh, our son is in second year of university. And this awareness of stress and who we are and who they need to be and who they, you know, having to set a path. I think while we had those pressures, you and I are the same age, I think we had those pressures as well, but we didn't have the support and the awareness and the I'm going to say acceptance, although we have so much further to go, to be able to change your mind, to be able to pivot. And one of the things, because I can remember being in university and I started off similar path, was going to go to med school and um, was paying my way through university and then realized that, hey, wait a minute, art students take half the hours of classes and their tuition is less. I was working full time. I'm like, huh, I think they have something going on there. Maybe I can find another path as passionate there. And it's unfortunate that you had, you know, the, the experience that you had to go through, but you allowed it to shape you. And I think that's one of the things that our, the art, my kids' generation have been enabled to do is to, to learn from those ups and downs 
and follow a different path more easily than we had? Because I can imagine there was some pushback um, when, you know, that decision, whether you made or made for you about not going back to school and changing the direction and all of the emotions that went along with that. Yeah. I mean, it was a big deal, right? You think it, and with, I became um, unconsciously invested in this identity at a, at a very young age and then set on a path academically and with the full, full enthusiasm and support of my parents and teachers and everything else, you know, this is a great, this is a great idea. This is going to be amazing, etc. And then it doesn't happen. And there is this, um, it is an existential, it was totally an existential crisis. It wasn't like, oh, well, I didn't get in. I'll do something else. It's like, no, this is, who am I if I am not that and I'm not pursuing that path and I don't know I mean I, I think at the same time that there are maybe more options like you know when we were young if you were smart if you were in New Zealand you were either a doctor or a lawyer those were the top two choices underneath those were maybe dentist and accountant accountant if you weren't smart enough to do either of those things you know it was pretty limited and you, you know um I, I remember, uh, you know, thinking just this is the end. You do. It's just they felt like there were no other options, whereas I think the world is much more open and there's, I would like to think that there is more flexibility and adaptability and everything provided for in the world at the moment. But I think it very much depends on the individual human and their storyline and context. Like if, if people are that deeply invested in something and have so much of it, who you are, fixed and it was I recognize that now I look back at it I had a real fixed mindset about these things not just at an identity level but about intelligence and character and all of these things and I've come to learn that we're actually way more adaptable and and flexible in ways than we think we are which is one of the reasons I don't love psychometric assessments when it comes to leadership development I think they have a place in all sorts of ways but I think things like that just help people get more fixed in their view of themselves and come up with a justification for who they are and the way they're being rather than acknowledging that around about half of who you are, at least, depending on who, which psychologist you're talking to, um, is completely flexible and up to us to design. But it takes right. some intention and work. And choice, right? It's a choice. And it's so great that people have you to uh, help them guide them through that awareness and choice. And before we get into that, I always ask my, my guests my four core questions. So we'll start with that. So I think you already mentioned, although there might have been something beforehand, but what was the first career you remember wanting to do when you grew up? Oh, medicine, 100%. And who was the first big influencer in your life? Well, I would say my parents because they're the ones that you're around absolutely all the time. <laughs> and both of them just in different ways, you know, in terms of size of personality and presence and like a real impact player. I would say that's my father, but then my mother is this incredible, incredible woman who is, you know, able to be calm and stoic and loving and all of the, so they have this real kind of yin and yang. They have a magic and I think quite unique dynamic that growing up 
immersed in that and having them as role models for life and relationship um, is, is just huge. And in, including, you know, latterly, how to age powerfully. You know, they're just, they, their influence continues to this day. It's not just like when I was a kid. That's great. Is there a song that epitomizes your career path or maybe something that you're really connecting with right now? <laughs> oh my God, music. Uh, so <laughs> um, I have very wide ranging musical tastes. Um, if I think, I think at the moment, uh, the one that immediately comes to mind isn't so much about a kind of life and career as it goes in the background, but it is about the past few years and why, as you mentioned earlier, katebilling.com is going to be a thing. And that is um, it's from Talking Heads off the Stop Making Sense album. And I can never remember the exact title of it, but you know that, How Did I Get Here? This Is Not My Beautiful Life, that one. That um, That's, that I think probably the past five years has been a bit of a, a running background song in my life. Can't go wrong with talking heads. No. I know exactly the song that you're talking about. And what are three words that you'd use to describe you, yourself, your career? Okay, well, use words other people use because it's sometimes better than self-described. Loving, challenging, and edgy. Pushing, edgy. Nice. Pushing, pushing the edges. I've got edges. I've, I've definitely got edges for good or otherwise. Edges are interesting. Mm, not always they're not all sharp edges but there are definitely some sharp edges <laughs> well I think uh, if we're honest with ourselves most of us have those and it's learning when to turn the sharp edge away and when you need to leverage it is a is a learning thing so I, you know so much of what you said that I'm interested in you're one of the very few people out there who are challenging the you know, traditional approach to our 40s and 50s, particularly women, the ageism, the sexism, those combined, somebody has to come up with a new word for that when it's combined, um, and how to approach it. I loved uh, some of the stuff that I read, you know, 54, and yes, I am 54, and you're embracing it, and you're living your life as you would, as your version of 54 is. So I'd love to hear how you've evolved in this leadership training and you've been at it for a long time. So your perspective will have changed, you know, experiences lead into that. And how has this shift and realization that the world doesn't treat all of us the same way, even if we're the same person <laughs> as we move through our lives, um, you know, what have been some of the aha moments and, and what is it about it that you've, you know, really loved about what you do to stick with it for two and a half centuries or centuries, sorry, decades, not centuries. I was going to say, I've got longevity with my things, but even that would be pushing it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so lot, lots, lots to explore in there. Um, I think I, my, the first conversation I remember having, like I fell into the people space. I came back from being, living overseas for four and a half years, as New Zealanders do, you know, we live in a tiny country at the bottom of the world. And back in the 80s and 90s, it was extremely expensive and time consuming to get anywhere. So you tended to leave New Zealand and stay away. Like, because it was, you know, travel was so expensive. And um, so I came back from having that kind of adventure in my late 20s and 
fell into recruitment, went, went you know, to be asked to apply for a job and the, person, the recruiter said, I'm not going to put you forward because I want you to come and work for me. And that, and that was kind of the beginning of this foray into the people and culture and ultimately leadership space. And, and out of that, I ended up in a national recruitment manager role in a big law firm here, heading up their recruitment nationally and globally. And I think it was 2000, maybe 2001, when I had my first conversation with someone about the fact that we weren't going to get the performance that the partners wanted out of people because we had created a fundamental an environment that was fundamentally unfit for human habitation and performance. It was quite a conversation. And, it, it, you know, because I'd been looking at it for a long time and, and thinking even the way we talked about people back then and still do, you know, because this is like 23, 24 years ago, about um, resources and assets and this very industrial age kind of thinking even about human beings um, just didn't feel right, didn't sit right. And as time's gone on and the world has become more and more what we're making it, and that's an important thing to remember is it's not just happening, we're, we're making the world less and less fit for how we are designed. How, and when I say designed, I mean evolved. That the aspects of our humanity, um, be that our physiological, neurological, neurobiological kind of humanness, were, were not fully understood by people who were developing leaders and by the leaders themselves to therefore understand their own and other people's behaviours. And, you know, that the world was becoming more and more challenging for that. You know, and we're seeing that across all ages and stages now, you know, anxiety going through the roof and kids and the impact of children being given devices too early and stuff like that. Right? So this has been, it's been building for a long time for me, but it was further to our other conversation about, you know, what did I want to be when I grew up? I think it's only been in the right, about the last seven years probably where I felt this opportunity to integrate this obsession, proper deep obsession with human beings. And you mentioned biohacking earlier. Yeah, I was doing that before it was called a thing and now I am 100% doing it. You know, bringing that and all of the stuff about what it is to be human individually and, and collectively, you know, in relationship to each other into the leadership development space and it just started experimenting with that with a few willing clients like pushing the edges of, about can we get out of just this content driven cognitive engagement with develop and de development and down into a real human centered uh research-based but emotion emotion learning's an emotional experience so there needs to be there need to be some heat experiences. You know, it's very definitely a vertical and horizontal kind of approach. Understanding the place of mindset and belief. You know, understanding how the brain works and what drives rewards the reward and threat system. These sorts of things, and just saw such a significant difference in the way people experience the development and what happened as a result, and how sustainable it was. Uh, and, and so I have just leaned more and more into that, really. Um, 
I think the you mentioned about you know the differences in people and and I think this is that again happened over about the same time frame about that seven or eight year period of just really noticing particularly with senior leaders I found because that's where a lot of my work is execs and senior people is um the difference is I don't agree I don't I don't agree I don't like the imposter syndrome thing because of men and women experience it in different ways at different times for different reasons right and it's not necessarily the right label but how much women would get in their own way before they did something like they'd just keep themselves out of the game whereas men are at least they're on the field giving it a crack often wildly overestimating (laughs) their capabilities (laughs) and experiences but you know oh yes but they're they're, they're kind of prepared to get out there and get a bit bloody and dirty and the women would be holding back and so one of the first things that I started to do to experiment with this a little bit more was created this workshop called Tune In which is about unlocking the power of self-talk and the place of the conversation we have with ourselves in terms of how it supports us with who we're being how we navigate life leadership challenges growth all of these things and um you know when you when you go from doing development which is help us develop the capability of our people so they can do their jobs better into my life has been changed and then you know the the individuals are saying that and the clients are saying oh and they're still we're still getting all the capability development improvement, even though you weren't directly addressing the capability. Yeah, particularly for what for women, we're seeing their confidence, their self belief, their willingness to take on challenges, etc., shift significantly. And that means that the on the job, their application of what we know they know, and their readiness to step into challenges and get on the field has shifted enormously. You know, so I think that was that was the first one, and I've been a bit reluctant to only do work with women, to be honest, because I've never identified with the women only stuff of the pink and lavender and flowers and stuff like that. that's not really my vibe. I know people can't see me uh, on this audio, but I don't have long hair. I don't wear pale pink. I don't, you know, do a whole lot of stuff. So yeah, long long answer, but it's been a very interesting time, and I'm looking now looking forward to to really pushing even more so into this how do we navigate this midlife transition in in life and leadership in new ways for a new generation and how do we live our increasingly longer lives with impact particularly for women when we've never been in the workforce and the numbers we are in the positions that we are with the opportunities that we have. And I really don't want to see us count ourselves out because we are getting caught up in some of these ageist, sexist, you know, gendered ageist conversations with ourselves, let alone right. what's going on in the society and organizations around us. So for our audience, um, well, you'll see uh, Kate's picture on the uh, the cover of this podcast, but she is the hippest 54-year-old I have ever met, best hair, cool glasses, rock and black. I, I, yes. So for all of you who need a visual, there you go. 
So just to get back to our conversation, you mentioned that it was about seven years ago. Was there a defining moment, a decision, an action, something that really significantly impacted the trajectory seven years ago? Or was it something that had been, you know, growing and and you were cultivating and then the flower just bloomed and there, you just had to, you had to get out there with it. I think uh, as with most of these things, Kathy, it's probably, it's a combination of contextual things, right? Of shifts. I think I was feeling a bit stuck in the business as we had created it and Blacksmith, I was burnt out, overworked, etc. cetera. Um, we had great team, but you know, success is a, a driver of its own challenges right and and particularly for me and, I, and I'm also I think I'm, a, I'm an explorer I'm an adventurer my dad you know says that of me and it's um I like new things I'm not a very good maintainer <laughs> so I'm always changing and evolving and and I used to envy people who could stay satisfied with like a, a set thing but now I'm, I'm actually just really comfortable with me so I think I'd reached a natural point where I was like really my mind my soul was craving new adventures I was at the time and my you know I was probably I didn't know it at the time but I think I was a couple of years into the beginning of perimenopause which starts to wreak all kinds of havoc on your mind and body and it was still kind of early days at that point um I had started to go seriously grey, silver, I like to think of it now, and was tossing and turning about what to do about that because I started to recognise I had some internalised ageism beginning to come up. And uh, I had also been, you know, looking for something to support my own growth. And so a couple of key things happened around that seven, eight year window. One of them was I went to a retreat in Ireland called uh, the Burren Executive Leadership Retreat, which is led by, created and led by a fellow Canadian of yours, Mary Stacey. And uh, it was, you know, flying to the other side of the world for a four day (laughs) retreat on the west coast of Ireland. It was, uh, it was a, you know, it was like a mad thing to do, but it was so amazing. David White, who's a poet and philosopher, arguably, was one of the co-leads, and he just always has such great, deep provocations. So I had that experience there, and I was going through all this in a tumult, and I was like, what? I've, I feel like I've come to the, the end of one adventure, but I'm not sure what the next one is. And and so I think I was looking, I was consciously and unconsciously looking around. You know, and the, I think so the running some experiments on this and going, you know, just deciding, hey, maybe I'll, I'll try this as a one-day thing, which has now become a two-day thing with Shunan. You know, try just pushing the edges by and inserting some of this new, old for me, but new for other people thinking into development conversations and to grow and see right. seeing what it lands i'm big on test just test everything chuck it in there see what happens push the edges provide a provocation change something up you know in, in facilitation you're constantly you know taking everything in about a, mm-hmm. a, a group and what's happening um and just really playing with some of these 
ideas, having conversations with clients, running some experimental kind of workshops to see if things landed. And as always doing the work on myself. Um, And I think that, that was a process that kind of began. And I would say like last July, when I would say I, I've made, I reckon that was my deepest point on the midlife turn. The mid, I talk about a thing called the midlife turning point. Last July was it. I reckon that was the deepest. So it was kind of this pathway into um, a time of real reflection and evolution, transition, change for myself. So, yeah. And and how, I, I mean, I love the statement you said about testing the provocation. And provocation is a word that my business partner and I use a lot when we're running workshops and, and to put forward ideas and, and points. And I, I like the tension that that word often creates with people. Um, so when you started doing that, when you started really looking at, you know, what does this mean and having it in a, in a somewhat formed concept so that you could articulate it and, and, and pose the provocation. What was some of the reaction were, did people know what to do with that? Because even I find with, you know, what I call, you know, my, my core group of, of girlfriends all about the same age, we call ourselves our tribe and we'll bring up things like that. And I'm like you, I'm very curious and, and always wanting to know, you know, how does that impact? How does that affect you? You know, what did you learn from that? What would you do differently? So what were some of those things for you as you started to change the conversation with people I suspect you'd been working with for a while and you started to go down a, a, a not slightly, but a rather different track um, in that coaching relationship? Um, my experience of it was, I mean, you can't ever come, my experiences don't ever come from left field, right? It's always got to be contextually relevant and make sense for people. And the point of a provocation, you know, is it's more than a question. And it's less than a front-on knife-in-your-hand challenge. It's It comes from, you know, this curious inquiry place. I think my experience was and remains to this day that even if like maybe the first time people experience some of that stuff, they are a bit, they have a, they have a moment because it's like, oh. they either, they're either like, where have you been all my life? This is amazing. I thought I was the only person who was thinking <laughs> like this. And it's like, there's either that where people, you know, sit forward in their seats and they're like, because everything I do is group work. I don't do one-on-one stuff. Okay. mad believer in the power of of the collective for, for growth and learning and just life um and so there would be people who would like lean in literally oh, this is interesting other people who would be like oh i don't like this or oh, i don't like where this is going <laughs> um and but not not in a but then you talk from a facilitation perspective, you talk about what's happening in the room, not just the content. The experience is as important as, as the content. Let's talk about what's going on right now. Because I can feel, you know, some of you are really curious about this. I can see some of you are like, oh, this is, this is a bit, you know, so let's talk about how you're feeling about having this conversation rather than just keep trying to battle on through the conversation. Um, I found 
clients that I started to want to deliberately I started putting more of it into kind of sales and engagement conversations with new clients to test to to until I got to a point where it's like I just don't want to work with people who don't aren't prepared for this kind of stuff <clears throat> you know who don't get that it's about whole human beings and it's not just about bright shiny content so that they can tick some boxes and say oh our people have got some new stuff it's like they don't need new stuff they've forgotten so much <laughs> what you've given them before, what's the key stuff and how do we make that a deeply human connection and relevance, etc. So start went from kind of just testing with people in the room to building it into the sales and engagement process to then starting to shift the content to do to go deeper on fewer, more important things um, that unlock the keys that unlock multiple pathways of potential for people, not just a bit of content that addresses a problem that people think they've got. Um, and what happened in terms of the human to human connections in the groups, you know, next level where people are being people, there's a lot of talk about vulnerability and authenticity, but creating experiences where people you know, creating, as I always say, you know, safety and comfort are not the same thing. And, yes. you know, development is inherently uncomfortable. You want to grow your, you want to change your body. You know, you're going to make yourself uncomfortable. You're going to go to the gym. You're going to run. You're going to be hungry. You're going to do all of these things in service of health, well-being, and perhaps a differently shaped body. If you want a differently shaped self and leadership impact, you're going to have to do some things that make you uncomfortable. You are going to keep a journal. You're going to, and it's not dear diary, but you are going to, <laughs> you know, and the number of people who are journal blocked, good Lord. Um, you know, it, but it's, I just said, it's like having a shower or brushing your teeth. Get up and wash your mind every morning. You know, it's just like clean it, clean it out. Um, so I think there's been, it's got, it got very rapidly to a point where it's like, I don't want to work with people who don't get this and who, when I'm talking with them, their eyes don't light up at the idea of, oh yeah, of course we have to talk about who we are as people and our whole, you know, not just talk about this applied to the work context, but also to all of the places we're called to leadership. The fact that you have moments and clearly you have where when you're talking about this and having these these difficult conversations, people's eyes light up in that conversation must be incredibly rewarding and empowering and, and energizing. I, you know, can't say that I get a lot of that through content marketing <laughs> and content coaching every once in a while, but you know, that 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 is amazing. With this shift and this change. I mean, like I said, you've been you've been running your business for for twenty five years. You've you've got something new on the on the horizon, which I'd love to hear more about. Have you? What's your current role like? What are how has it changed some of the challenges and maybe the compromises you're making now versus earlier on? If we think about in the early days, like bootstrapping a startup, you know, in any climate, but through things like the GFC, you know, COVID, all of these sorts of things, there are contextual challenges. Um, there are challenges related to one's inexperience in the beginning, you know, and so there are always 
trade-off decisions that get made. And, and I think in the, in the early days, one of the big trade-offs was uh, well-being and time with friends and family. So you know, in terms of creating something, we just disappeared. And people, you know, it was just like, oh, you guys are so busy. And it's like, yeah, it's just working all the time. And um, I think one of, when I think about, like COVID, I would have to say was just such an enormous, um, I mean, you guys were like us, you were locked in your houses for years. Yeah. (laughs) It was just like, it wasn't just a few weeks. It was like, oh my God, what happened to three years of my life? Um, I think I look at it and I think about some of the, I mean, the question I always have for people is, you know, what are you, what are you willing to suffer for based on what it is you want to do in the world, what you want to create, the impact you want to have, the person you want to become, what is that? And what are you prepared to suffer in order to create it? So there are always, there's, I think there's always sacrifice. There's always discomfort. It's the consciousness with which we enter that discomfort and sacrifice and, and arguably suffering for growth and progress and well-being and all of the things that one might decide and in the beginning I think we were pursuing more of what I would call was a consulting business model which meant more people more clients you build a machine etc and that was part of what I was feeling stuck seven or eight years ago I looked at it and went holy hell how do I this is it you know shit you just have to keep doing this and I even at even at that stage, the idea of um, keeping doing that for even to 65, you know, now I don't think about, I'm not going to retire ever, I don't think, in a conventional sense. Like, why would you if you're doing what you love? So I think, you know, COVID, COVID um, helped us make some decisions about changing out of that consulting business model and gave is, and there were a whole lot of sacrifices associated with that and a whole lot of losses you know, in personal life and business and everything else over the past few years. But we are emerging from that space into this new reality where I don't think a feeling of sacrifice at all about it anymore. It's not part of the story because, you know, we've, we've decided a whole lot of things that are going to be different. Like it's, going to be a brand with my name on the front when I was quite happy hiding behind Blacksmith before (laughs) and say it was bigger than me and therefore it doesn't need to have me but at the end of the day is people want me so let's just put it out there so I think you know when I when I think about what we're creating now we have the benefit of 50 plus years of life experience I'm in business with my husband as well so we have each other which is great we have 15 years of working together in the business so we know our strengths and how to play to them. Uh, we feel confident to take some new risks um, in terms of this whole midlife thing. Um, I believe it's a wave that's rising. You know, the menopause thing was the first, like Gen X opening the door and going, oh, hang on a cotton pick and second. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But I, I reckon we really just throw, throw the door wide open on uh, changing the conversation with ourselves, each other, and the world about what being in midlife means. And, and there are some implied risks and sacrifices around that. Like, will it work? Will it be seen as too not leadershipy enough? Um, 
you know, but too personal development. It's like, well, last time I looked, leaders of people. So, you know, let's do that. So, yeah, I don't feel like there's a lot of sacrifice now, but crikey, just so different in our approach to how we're going about this next evolution, not just of business, but of life. And it's great uh, that you can leverage, you can look back and think about the things that worked and the things that didn't and not necessarily just apply them because they did work because you're different people now. And I commend you working with your husband for, I think I read 15 years, which is amazing to be able to share a passion like that, not just your family and outside interests, but truly what you do day in, day out with someone who is your other half is, is an incredibly uh, rare thing and that it works and that you guys still like to eat dinner across from each other every night. Yeah. We're still alive Um, and we're still married. Yes. Which are two big check marks when it comes to life. So well done you. If you weren't in the, what I'll call humanity leadership space, because I think you're doing more than just leadership and development. It is about helping people be more human and recognize what humanity is and that it's not a one size fits all, but there is a basic awareness and acceptance, I think, that people need for us to move forward as humanity. So I, again, I, a shout out to you for the work that you're doing. But if you weren't in this space, if there was no, you know, you didn't, people didn't need it, and there was no question of money or resources or time, what would you be? What's, what's Kate's alter ego? Great question. I guess the thing is, like, I can't imagine doing anything else, and I don't think I'd want to. Like, I don't want to run away from it. Um, I yep. know sometimes people's, you know, it's it's like, what would you do if you won the lottery? Um, well, I keep doing what I do now. I just have the stress of making money. I, I'm a big, I'm an experience junkie. Like I just, I love experience. And before I got into the people space, I worked in the service industry, you know, around hospitality and food and um, luxury accommodation and stuff. Worked in a beautiful retreat in Colorado for a while. And I think that's like if time and money were no object and I wasn't doing what I do now, I would probably be doing something that's somewhat aligned to it, which is I would have a kick-ass small group retreat environment where you have to come and stay for a week. Like you arrive on a Sunday, you leave on a Sunday. Um, It's completely unplugged. And it's kind of, it's this, um, I'm really getting into the idea of rewilding humans and so this love that yeah this idea of there's no there's no tech there's no tvs there's stuff that people do together but it's not like spa retreat it's not like a spa and treatment retreat it's like you know some of it's scheduled and some of it's not hikes in the you know forest time sitting by the lake and conversation um, making meals together and stuff. I just I think this communing as human beings and getting away from the distractions of the modern world and just reconnecting with some of the experiences that our genetic forebears spent millions of years in and as modern humans hundreds of thousands of years in that that time is not so long ago and I believe we need it to to be at our best we need more of those uh experiences a a book i would encourage everyone to read if you haven't is the comfort crisis by michael easter okay um he's got a new one coming out 
about scarcity, uh, called Scarcity Brain, which is brilliant. It's coming out this month. But, yeah, that, I think that's what I'd do. If time and money were no object, um, yeah, I'd create this incredible place for people to just come and human together for a week. So I think that fits beautifully in with what you're doing. And when you do decide to move forward with that, I will be happily an inaugural <laughs> guest and, and help you test that out. Because that sounds wonderful. And I'm looking for an excuse to come to New Zealand. So please, 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 please. <laughs> All right. Note it. Note it. For our listeners, particularly the women in our audience, maybe those of us who are in that 40 to 50 uh, age range, what would be your best piece of advice? I think my, my go-to on this is, um, is start spending time with your own mind. Because I, I think what I know from personal experience and certainly from some of the, the senior women that I work with is we start as we age. <laughs> We, we become more senior, we become more experienced, we become business owners, senior leaders in business, and when we take on leadership roles in community in some way, um, you know, that there, as we are doing that, and we are passing through time and becoming older and living into uh, some new stereotypes that we all have unconsciously, there can be some really interesting stuff that you can unearth in your own mind about some of the beliefs you have about yourself, about aging, about being a woman in leadership or as a, as a business owner and where those things start to come together. Like particularly, you know, for women in their fifties and, and beyond once you pass over, there's something significant about the midway point, you know, I've, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a different place for everyone, right? Like I say, I think I hit the bottom of the midlife turning point last July. So I was, you know, 53 at the time. Other people might have it at 45. Everyone's personally in a different space. But things that 100% come up are questions about your relevance, your value, your visibility, um, your changing relationship with your body, with the face you look at in the mirror, with the relationships and the people around you, your children, your partner, your parents, you know, fifties is a decade of grief, arguably for um, a lot of us. And so really consciously approaching your life on paper with yourself about who you think you are, who you think you're becoming the limits you think will be placed on you that you will actually then place on yourself because you think they're out there. You know, um, working through that and really thinking about what's possible. Like, if you can live to 100, and we have that as a realistic thing now. You know, with our marginal decade yeah. being our marginal decade being 90 to 100, 80 to 90, yet, you know, maybe. If you're fit, healthy, well, active, mentally strong, relationally strong, etc., for another 30 years, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, you know, and you please god don't just retire at 65 or whatever the age is in the country you're living in and then go oh, i'm just gonna like travel or something i mean it's lovely in lots of ways but for 25 years yeah no know, kidding so there's this there's this time at the first stage of change the first stage of genuine you know it's a transitional time so enter the transition in a really conscious way first and foremost in conversation with yourself on a regular basis to just be curious about what's in there and how that might help or hinder you to make this 
transition as smooth as possible and set up to make the second half even better than the first. I love that. I will take that into practice myself. So in closing, um, where can our audience find you? I've got your your websites and, and um, whatnot, but from social, where's the best place to connect? Any speaking engagements coming up? Uh, the best um, place social-wise to follow me is LinkedIn. Um, okay. I, do, I do have an Instagram, but like it's just a personal poke around. Follow wombats. I love, I'm obsessed with wombats at the moment. Anyway, <laughs> so LinkedIn and uh, yeah, the Blacksmith website is there. People that's all focused around um, fully human development for executive teams. And the katebilling.com site will be live by the end of October. So I don't know when people will be wrapping their ears around our conversation but it'll be live then, but you can visit it and sign up. Um, and speaking wise, uh, anything that our Canadian listeners can listen to, um, I actually, I have been a couple of weeks, a conversation uh, about one of the things I run is the Menopause Awareness and Action Community on LinkedIn. It's nearly 2,000 members now. And um, we've got a conversation coming up about becoming a menopause a friendly accredited organization. So, wow. um, yeah, people can find out about that sort of via my LinkedIn, or if you're interested, it's the Menopause Awareness and Action Community on LinkedIn. So, yeah. Excellent. I will add that to the show notes and um, we'll definitely have all of your, your contact information connected as well. Kate, you, thank you so much for today's conversation. So enlightening and empowering. I'm excited to see what Kate Billing, the brand, is going to bring us. And uh, we'll look forward to the October launch. To my audience, thank you for listening to Uncharted Journeys with me, your host, Kathy McKnight. I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Kate and hearing about how embracing the whole person, whole life philosophy, you can unlock true potential, become authentic, responsible, compassionate individuals that not only live enriched lives, but also enrich those that we meet. If you're keen to hear more stories about amazing women, you can head over to unchartedjourneys.net and listen to some other episodes. You can also sign up for our email list and check out the links and resources in our show notes. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. And until then, enjoy the journey. And you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack. And you may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife and you may ask yourself